Tonight, we are discussing the energy crisis or the looming one in Europe and how it is impacting the continent's just energy transition into a lower carbon environment. So many countries in Europe right now are warning businesses and consumers to reduce their energy usage to avoid a situation in which governments have to implement rolling blackouts, kind of like what we have here in South Africa. Now, one of the reasons why energy is in uh, limited supply or short supply over on that that end is the Russia-Ukraine conflict and the impact that this has had on the supply of gas as well as the prices. We've got Tom Nelson, the head of Thematic Equity at 91 for more on the story. Tom, thanks so much for your time. You have been quoted in the media as saying that the uh, Russia-Ukraine conflict, which has impacted uh, Europe's foundational supply of natural gas, that it's resulted in the rare collision of two historical events. Can you explain what these two events are? Absolutely, Fifi, and it's a pleasure to be with you today. So what we are living through, and we're realistically, we're in the early stages of it, is effectively the third energy transition. The first transition having been a 19th century phenomenon, as we moved as a people, as a population of the world, we moved from burning wood towards burning coal. The second transition was predominantly a 20th century phenomenon as we moved from burning coal towards burning oil and gas. Of course, we didn't exclude coal. We simply added oil and gas to the mix. And if we fast forward to today, we're now seeing the introduction and in some geographies, the widespread adoption of renewable energy, um, solar, wind, etc. So we think of this as, as the third transition, if you will. Now, the other thing um, that you alluded to, the other seismic event, is this energy supply shock. So the uh, effective removal of uh, Russian energy into Europe, which is being most keenly felt by the removal of Russian natural gas, uh, which European industry relied on as a vital fuel source. Now, we've seen energy supply shocks before, most memorably, I suppose, in the 1970s with the Arab-Israeli war and the boycott um, on uh, Middle Eastern crude and the upward pressure that put on oil prices and inflation, et cetera, et cetera. But what we think is really, really interesting is the concept of these two giant events colliding, an energy transition, which is always going to be complicated, colliding with the supply shock and the effective removal of this Russian energy. And that's one of the reasons why we think Here in Europe at the moment, we're seeing this chaotic pricing across natural gas, coal, electricity, etc. How long do you expect this uh, to continue playing out and do you expect it to have this dramatic effect on pricing? Well, I wish I knew the answer to that. Uh, We're all braced over here for a pretty complicated winter. Uh, We're seeing governments intervene to put caps on domestic electricity and heating bills having seen enormous moves higher, as I say, in in terms of domestic bills, uh, we wouldn't be surprised to see more policy intervention of that nature. Um, There's a tendency always in these situations, Fifi, to assume that this level of disruption and volatility and chaos will persist for a very long time. I would argue that we seem to have a, a way of finding solutions Uh, we always tend to be a little bit more progressive and innovative 
um, in developing workarounds and ways forward than perhaps is immediately expected. So sitting here in Europe, we're, we're, we're braced for complicated winter. A lot of people are beginning to look ahead to the winter of 2023 and how that will play out. Of course, it goes without saying it will be very weather dependent. Um, the interesting thing that's happening in terms of the industrial response is in particular the build-out of regasification terminals on the European mainland. Um, in other words, terminals which will enable Germany and other countries to pull cargoes of liquefied natural gas uh, into mainland Europe. Um, those cargoes which in a, uh, in a normal operating environment would probably be finding their ways uh, into the um, into the Asian and the Far Eastern market. Mm-hmm. Is that something that uh, can happen overnight or is it something that t- uh, may take some time? And uh, also, what does this all signal for the energy transition of the continent as a whole into a cleaner and uh, more renewable space over the long term? Well, in the short term, I think the uncomfortable truth is that the, if you like, the dash for energy and the urgency around restoring and normal provision and, where possible, normal pr- uh, pricing of energy, that in the near term is, 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 the, is the priority. So in a sense, that has superseded the environmental impact of burning more gas and more coal in the ascendancy. And we, we can expect that to, to remain uh, the case for a little while longer. I think what's interesting to your second question about the energy transition is that we would expect, all else being equal, that while there will be, if you like, an environmental cost in the near term, actually it will accelerate the transition in the longer term. The reason for that is that hydrocarbons have got very expensive again, and hydrocarbon-fueled electricity has got very expensive again, which means that at a levelized cost of energy or levelized cost of electricity basis, the renewable alternatives, renewable equivalents are economically more attractive. So it's a kind of short-term pain for what we expect to be a longer-term gain, which is an acceleration of that transition. Um, But it's going to be uncomfortable here for a while. But we must remember that to come back to the point of the collision of the supply shock with the transition, if you look at the two previous transitions, they are very, very complicated. You've got changing supply sources, changing demand trends, changing consumer preferences, changing regulatory environments. These things can't happen overnight. And, and that's why we should expect at least a decade of pretty volatile pricing, we would argue, in terms of um, commodity price and hydrocarbon inputs. Okay, so that's the uh, macro environment. Ultimately, uh, which companies are likely to uh, do well in this environment, in your view? Well, the, the transition and the effects of the transition on a whole host of sectors is going to be incredibly interesting and exciting, we think, for active investors. Um, we've got businesses that will benefit directly from increased spending on renewable energy and decarbonisation. So they will, be, they will see higher growth and, and can expect to enjoy that if you like, decarbonisation tailwind for decades to come. Um, and, and many of those are around areas like electrification and renewable energy, energy efficiency, et cetera, environmental type companies. So they, we expect, will do very well. There's a very interesting 
group of companies and subsectors and sub-industries which sit in the middle, if I can call it that, by which I mean in areas and parts of the market which are emissions intensive, um, some of them across resources, um, across power, across mobility, into agriculture. And these are parts of the market which need to decarbonize, where, where many of the or a very high percentage of global emissions sit. And interestingly, these are also parts of the market which we think could actually make the, effectively make the conversion from being emissions intensive, more structurally challenged industries to actually being solution providers. So an energy company that can move away from oil and gas towards low carbon, for example, or a steel company that can find a way of decarbonizing its core processes, or agriculture companies that can make a success of green hydrogen and the ammonia opportunities, et cetera, et cetera. So there will be what we would call clear growth winners, and, and, and those are um, have, have performed well um, in recent years. But we also think some of the so-called brown industries, which are asset-intensive, capital-intensive, emissions-intensive industries, they need to change. They've, they've attracted a low market rating. And if they can make that change, we think they'll do well in the future. And as for the uh, physical resources themselves, uh, which uh, ones, in your view, are said to benefit from the uh, transition the most? Well, I think there will be opportunities across the spectrum. Um, I think a lot has been written about the metals opportunity and metals that will, metals, materials, minerals that will have key roles to play in decarbonizing technologies. Um, so we're thinking there about copper uh, and its role in electrification. We're thinking about nickel, uh, about zinc, about cobalt, about lithium. Um, and there have been some fantastically interesting studies on the metals intensity of a whole load of different renewable energy and environmental technologies. So that's, that's one that's been written about a lot. I think the, 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 the evolution, if you like, of traditional big energy companies will be very interesting to watch. So these are businesses that have historically been oil and gas producers uh, with also a refining business on the side. And we expect them to do more chemicals and we're watching very carefully to see opportunities in things like sustainable aviation fuel. Uh, we're looking at the opportunities presenting themselves in the hydrogen economy, carbon capture. And some of these technologies are very, very nascent, largely unproven. But businesses that can crack the code and can be the leaders in these essential technologies, we think will do very well. But of course, the market is not going to pay up for that until it sees um, a chance for commercial success and scalability. All right. Uh, so bottom line, there is uh, some light in the long term, uh, despite the uh, potential darkness uh, that uh, could hit the European economy in the short term. Tom, we'll leave it there. Tom Nelson, the head of thematic equity at 91.